Carrie, where's um, your cat? What did your cat do? Fuck. It was All your right. cat. Damn it. Oh my God. <laughs> Coming up on Verse Course Verse, we have one more Strokes episode, and then it's all downhill forever for me. That's next. Uh, welcome to Verse Chorus Verse episode, I think 147, because I think the Strokes dissection is a two-parter. I am DL. With me is Evil who thinks I talk way too much, Jimmy. Evil, how are you? I'm well. Uh, I'm coming up a long day of work, so I'm Feeling getting in, into the groove here. But, you know, you know me. I'll a couple of drinks and I'll be fine. Puke and rally? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Rachel yes, is sir. also here. Why did I say it like that? Also with us is Rachel, who also thinks I talk too much, Polio Di- Mason. Mm, it's Congratulations, true. Rachel. Thank you. You're hitched. Yeah, I'm probably going to just keep my stage name, though. Do you I mean, feel not, different? Not like legally, like the checks need to say Mason, but like just call me polio. So I need to. Well, count. I think you just gave me an out. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I'm good. Everything's good. <laughs> Have you come back to reality after all the, the wedding and the honeymoon and the. Yeah, I mean, I had to go full force back into work. Came back on. Three in the morning on 4th of July and then worked the next day. So was flying into America cool on the 4th of July night? I was dead to the world. And outside that, oh. we were we were in the center aisle anyway. So I don't know that I would have gotten to see much. You should have set up some man. fireworks on the plane. Yeah, that, <laughs> we should have done that. We are not alone. Lucky what? us for the second time in a row. We have the Carrie Kirkland. <laughs> Carrie, who just had to keep talking about the strokes of this again. Carrie, how are you tonight? I am freshly showered. Mm. hey Yeah, so my stepdaughter is in town and she leaves tomorrow morning. And yesterday she said, I want to climb Mount Jacinto. There's a tram that gets you like up to 8,000 feet. And I said, how tall is it? I don't even know. 10,840 feet. And so oh. I said, what time do they open the mountain? She said, 10 a.m. I said, yeah. We can do it. So I got home um, an hour Wait, ago. Wait, you did that today? Yeah, I got home an oh, hour shit. ago. That's why like, <laughs> my hair's all wet. I look like ass and uh, my cat's on my lap because I haven't been That's home all day. dramatic. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to me. I just climbed a mountain today, so it's it's been a good day. Okay, we get it. God. <laughs> look, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Before evil... <laughs> Got here. I just got done saying that this has been a really fucking terrible work week. Rachel's hungover from the honeymoon. Who the hell wants to come back from a honeymoon? Carrie just climbed a mountain. So how about fuck everybody? And if this episode sucks, it's all your fault that we're even doing this in the first place, right? <laughs> I feel like it's your fault. This episode can't suck. It's not allowed to suck. It's not allowed to suck because we're going to talk about one of my favorite bands of all time. Rachel, who was not here for the Strokes dissection, and I'm not sure that I've ever talked to you about the Strokes before. Yeah. How well do you know this band? Did you know this band coming into studying for this album? I mean, I knew like the radio Strokes, and that is about as far as it got. Not very well, to be perfectly honest. 
Here's the hard thing about that. After you listen to it so many times, every song feels like a song that I've heard before in the past. So I'd say Uh probably I'd probably heard a couple of them. But now I think every song is a song that was on the radio. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Evil, since we did the Strokes dissection, now we are doing one specific album, the album that we saved, the album that we didn't talk about on the last episode. Have your thoughts changed at all on this album since we talked about the Strokes and the Strokes in general since studying for this? Uh, I don't think so. I did have a more difficult time getting back into the... I think I binged so much on the Strokes for the last episode that my mind was like, okay, move on. And then I had to come back to it. I'm like, oh, but I don't... (laughs) I want to listen to heavy, really like other stuff, but I got, I got it done. And I don't, I don't think I look at the album any differently than I did leading up to the last episode. Carrie, exact same question. Okay. So you are sort of changing the game here because when I, Uh well, in a good way, like when I studied for all of the other albums, I didn't do much listening to this one. But I listened to it as part as part of my backwards going through things initially. And I was out on a walk when I listened to it, and I came home annoyed. And I was like, oh, this doesn't bode well. <coughs> and then Uh-oh. when I revisited it after the last episode, it was like earworm after earworm after earworm, and it got really addictive. Yeah. I did not expect it because... I really didn't like it on first listen. And so, <laughs> sorry. And oh, hey. But but I definitely feel differently because I listened to it in a totally different headspace after the last episode. Uh, we are talking about Room on Fire, the second album by The Strokes. I did not choose this album for DL's 10 out of 10s, which I think this is like volume 10. We've done 10 of these. What, what's crazy is that out of the 10, I don't think any of us yet have just said, fuck this album. This album sucks. Maybe Sticky Fingers? No, mm. yeah, it was fine. But I feel like that was just more of a meh. Yeah. Like, I think it was like a, a couple yeah. 8 out of 10, a 7 out of 10, and a 6 out of 10 kind yeah. of thing. So we'll see. We'll see what happens on this one. I did not choose this album because it is my favorite Strokes album. I didn't choose this one because I think it's the best album. I chose it because there are three albums of The Strokes that I think were possible 10 out of 10s. And to me, this was right in the middle. Hmm. Not the most likely to be a 10 out of 10, not the least likely hmm. to be a 10 out of 10. All right. And I'll talk about that later. Before we get more into Room on Fire by The Strokes, we got to talk about the most important part of the night. Rachel, so glad to have you back. What are you drinking with your burrito. With my burrito. Um, <laughs> it's another found in the fridge drink. Hey this yo. has been in the fridge for a while. It's a Japanese soda called Ramyun. That's ramen. This is not ramen, David. <laughs> um, a bottle of ramen. And I got it for my birthday in November, and I haven't drank it yet. And it has like this weird... Why is it... What the fuck? Okay, so the way that you open it, it comes with this plastic bit that you kind of jam in the top and then this glass ball falls down like halfway and i think it's to help extra carbonate it or something like what does the guinness ball do that's nitrogen yeah this is not the same that's no, just like a, definitely that's isn't. just a glass ball for fun i think <laughs> it's a glass Jap- ball for those, funsies. 
These guys are some creative people, man. They really are. And Malibu. And Malibu. <laughs> because how do you how do you have any left? Well, I had my own how bottle, you, and then I had a bottle. Then I had had the bottle from our party in wherever the hell we were. Oh Idaho. In Idaho, where you live. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like the other part of Idaho. Yeah. What's that called? Other Idaho. That party. So I have bottles on bottles. On bottles. Because Trevor was like, hey, <laughs> when I was grabbing the soda from the kitchen, he's like, hey, do you need the Malibu? And I said, no, there's already a bottle at my desk. I'm good. <laughs> hey that's how you live. I'm proud of you for that one. Carrie. Mm, that's delicious. Last time you were drinking water, which I is fine. Not, you had I some, wasn't drinking water. I had Guinness Zero. Guinness Zero? You were drinking... Mm-hmm. Is that like a lower You're calorie a drink Guinness? that had the same amount of alcohol as water has in it. <laughs> so I'm really going to thrill you tonight. Uh, if I drink alcohol tonight, you will actually view my death on Zoom, <laughs> which actually might help my music career. But I'm drinking electrolytes. She did just hype. Because I feel like I'm dying. So electrolytes are... What plants crave. <laughs> <laughs> And if this goes down and stays down, along with my bowl of raisins, I may switch to something later in the evening. So your ass got that kicked today. I did not fuel properly. Mm. Ah, gotcha. I kind of screwed up. Has Evil ever told you about the magic of turbo margaritas? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm excited. There's so many electrolytes in that. Yes, and sugar. And booze yeah. and heartburn. So <laughs> yeah, my favorite. Well, maybe next time. Evil, what are you drinking? I have a story behind this cocktail. I'm drinking a paper plane is what I'm drinking, but there's a story behind it. One of our favorite places to go in Boise is the Modern. It's a it's a hotel that has a little bar or restaurant attached. It's great food mm-hmm. and I feel awesome like, drinks. I feel like we all went there together. Yes, we may have. <laughs> They're constantly changing up their menu and their uh, cocktail list. We been there a couple of times recently and they have a cocktail i think it's called the marmalada and all i know about it their their menu is very cryptic i think bourbon and a maro of some kind and i'm on a quest to try to figure out what it is mm. last weekend megan went to a spirits tasting event with some work people one of the things they had there was an amaro it's Made in Italy, but it is imported through McCall, which is where she's from. Imported through McCall? Right. I don't know. So we went and got a bottle of that and tried to R&D this Marmalata cocktail. It is not this right tomorrow because it's way too dark. It looked like... Brown? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It tasted delicious, but it looked brown. And I'm like, this is... This yeah. doesn't work. So I went and got some Amaro Nonino. I've been trying to work out this thing. I just haven't got it yet. So I made a paper plate. Have you thought of like watching them while they make it? That's in what like we're going to do. Way? Yep. That's what we're going to go bar, sit at the right? bar. You, yep. Yeah. Yep. I am embarrassingly lazy with my drink tonight. Like I said, really, really, really long day today. So I got home, carbonated some water. What did I do? Lemon, uh, what's the lemon vodka? There's like a name for it. Limitron. Yeah, 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 yeah. Teeny bit of grenadine, soda water, and what the fuck else did I put in this thing? Cranberry juice. It's hot here. It's good, but it's, uh, I'm not very proud of it. So we'll just gloss right over that. (laughs) Vodka, am I right, Jimmy? 
I, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> obviously feel me um, judging from a state away. I wouldn't have it any other way. Once again, I'm very, very happy Carrie Kirkland has joined us for the fourth time this year, I think. Ooh, thank you. I mean, shit, man. <laughs> it's it's a little dream come true. I'll, and Rachel and Carrie hadn't even met yet. so It's mm, true. Not in person. <laughs> Before we continue, I got to tell you about the music that you heard coming in. The music that you heard coming in, which was different, right? But different in a good way. That's by Chris Rainier. He has an album out on Bandcamp called Sorrowful Songs of the Silver Swords. I would imagine that he heard the podcast due to our Harry Parts stuff. We did some Harry Parts stuff and he himself uh, reached out and said he dug the pod and wanted to know if we had any interest in his music. I definitely did. The story basically being that he has a 1975 Japanese like Martin D28 style guitar that he basic refretted based on Harry Parch's original scores. So I, I think he's done a lot of studying on, on Parch and on that style of composition. It's really just the Harry Parch style of composition because it is unlike anything else. But you hear that music. It is beautiful. It is different. It is unique and a little bit terrifying in a good way, especially for us musicians of even how to comprehend being able to perform this. I think it's an amazing album. I bought it uh, probably about a half a year ago, maybe longer on Bandcamp, and I've been listening to it since. The song that you heard coming in to the pod was the Adamantine Billows of a Petrified Sea. That is uh, track two on the eight-part album, Sorrowful Songs of the Silver Swords. The song that you're hearing now that's going into the break is Sawtooth Waves of Lava of Vexed, the surface of this weird ocean. Intense names for intense songs, but I think this is fantastic. I love this. It's just nice to hear something different. Chris Rainier, he's also on uh, Instagram, but go to Bandcamp. Find him on Bandcamp. That's R-A-I-N-I-E-R. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that we want to support, right? This guy built his own goddamn instrument this guy has been studying harry parch uh we know how difficult that is and how mind-bending it is and he comes out with this which is fantastic so hope you enjoy listening to it we've got one more break that's going to come up after this we'll put it on there too chris thank you so much for the music it's been fun to listen to hope we get you a couple downloads thanks everybody we'll be right back The Strokes, Room on Fire. It's the same cast as the first album. It is Julian on the vocals and doing pretty much all the writing. It's Albert and Nick on guitar. It's Nikolai on the bass. And it's Fab on the drums. Hey, Stats, you want to take it away? That's all the stats. Uh, This album... Room on Fire is the second studio album released by The Strokes. It was released in October of 2003 on RCA Records. It went number four on the U.S. Billboard 200. Went gold fairly quickly-ish after that, but went platinum, I think, in 2021 or so. So it eventually went platinum, but just took a second. Got pretty good reviews all around when it first came out, and people have actually moved up the reviews since then. People seem to like it more now than they did when it first came out. 
I don't mind if we start covering that at the beginning because I, I actually like that, especially I really like calling out Pitchfork for their like <laughs> post reviews. Their wait, it's been 10 years. Let's go back and let's revisit. Revisit. Yeah. Let's fix the our bullshit. Revisionist history. We'll call it the Liter- David and Interpol. Like, like they don't even hide it. No, that's totally different. <laughs> that's not different. That's exactly the different. same. You're like, this Interpol very, sucks. Yeah, but here's the difference. I don't do that because other people are saying, actually, that Interpol was really good. That's fair. Because everybody That's says right. that Interpol sucked. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it sucked. Touche, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> hey, let's do the really, really, really easy thing to do since we all know carry like the back of our hand and vice versa. Let's do the friendship test. Rachel, I'm going to make you go first. What okay. is everybody's favorite song? on this what is everybody's favorite song david i had you first Mm -hmm. the end has no end carry under control is what i had for you okay i don't know it seemed seemed the slowest and the jazziest (laughs) so that's why i went that direction and then evil the way it is because of the guitar at the beginning seemed like the most metal of all the guitar so Which quickly went into not metal guitar, but the very first couple seconds, I was like, that sounds like Evil would like the first couple seconds of. As you can see, our choosing of songs for each other has really grown (laughs) and deepened in science (laughs) as the years have progressed. It's really, what's the metalist? What's the pop bangiest? I will go next. Evil, for you, I chose The End Has No End. Mm. I will say why when we talk about that song. Carrie, I said Between Love and Hate. I will say why when we talk about that song. And Rachel, I said the way it is. And I will say why when we talk about that song. Evil. It's the metal guitar. It's, I mean, you are the new resident metalhead. It's true. If you ignore all the YouTubers. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. I watched it for the first time. Oh. I I watched it this week. My favorite comment is that. The girl is the quietest, but seems the most respectful, something like that. And it was like, huh. That's nice. Is it? (laughs) Is it? We want our women quiet and respectful. And I thought, Rachel? That was great. (laughs) Okay. That's cool. (laughs) You're the hardest, so I'm going to save you for last because I'm still excited. Uh, She said all those things. Oh boy. Jimmy or Pearl. Oh my God. <laughs> On an unrelated note for Rachel, I chose Meet Me in the Bathroom um, because of words. I mean, there's a book involved and it's, it's very clever lyrically. Carrie, okay. a little on the nose. I also picked Under Control. Seems. Whoa. Uh, right? Ooh. I think I could just throw a dart at this album and hit a song and it'd be your favorite song of the album, possibly. Possibly. But I'm gonna, I picked. Between Love and Hate, because you kind of made a fuss over a guitar solo in the last episode, and that has a pretty cool guitar solo. It's Carrie time. You're the host. I, well, I mean, I know. Look, it's been yeah. a long fucking day, Rachel. Okay. Um, <laughs> Carrie, you know us all the bestest. Yeah, totally. What songs are you picking for um, all be- three of us? Because I know Rachel the best. I picked Reptilia. That was my second choice for her. Because of the banger of it i have a full method for rachel from now on okay. and uh the the big hint is bpm that's true <laughs> fair yeah, yeah. i love my, a lot of bpms all... for evil i picked 1251 because of 
his affinity for the cars and DL, I just feel like you're an opener kind of guy. And whatever happened really struck me as a good possibility for your favorite. It's a very good possibility for my favorite. Room on Fire, sophomore album. They had just got done touring their ass off forever mm-hmm. off of Is This It, which is, I promise I won't say this over and over and over, but as we said in the last episode, was just insanely critically acclaimed, was a darling right. before it even came out. Once this album was in the works, they were it. They were the thing. Mm-hmm. Was your finger on the pulse back then? Were you a, you're shaking your head no, no so I don't, I don't even have to finish the question. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Like I said, I had as much knowledge as the radio gave me of The Strokes, which was a handful mm-hmm. of songs. I didn't know them that well back then. Initial thoughts going into this, being forced to listen to an album by them for the first time. I was forced. It was an album that I didn't mind listening to passively. (laughs) (laughs) Glowing. I love sitting down with lyrics and listening to the music. And I feel like I didn't really have to with this. It was such an easy listen. I didn't feel like it was complex enough. But it also made me kind of drift off a little bit sometimes when I was listening to it and my mind kind of wandered and I wanted to be captured a bit bit more. And it got to be a little monotonous and a little tiresome. Carrie, are you a Nigel Godrich fan? I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I kind of wish that he had been able to have a bit more of a hand in this and you know the Mm -hmm. things I read about their interaction basically said that he was in the room he's the you know supposed to be the producer but Julian just knew exactly what he wanted right and he kept questioning like why am I even here you know why am I here why am I here I hear a lot of Radiohead in this album at times you know at times I hear mostly in his voice not in the song structure itself but in his voice and in some of the phrasing that he does I can hear a little Tommy York in there and it's uh you know not a mystery as to why they would have wanted to work with him for me like I can see why I don't know if it's just people being you still have to stay in the industry so you can't but it's weird because it's music so you'd think that they would just shit on each other but nigel julian gordon Raffi. so what happened mm-hmm. was nigel goodrich was brought on to produce this eventually he left because just like carrie said he was like why the fuck am i even here and they brought back Gordon, who did the first album. None of them have ever really said anything bad about anybody. There is no, like, fuck that guy or anything like that. Like, you would kind of expect it was all just like, no, this just really wasn't meshing. And that's it. The Radiohead tie-in doesn't interest me like it interests you guys. And I'm just like, no, whatever. I don't, you know. Let's talk <laughs> about the cars again. Well, <laughs> out of all of their albums, I think I hear more cars in this album than yes, I do in any of their I albums. Agree. Really, when Gordon came on, they were kind of done with the songs they were totally done with them in fact when gordon came on it was really just him and julian sitting in a studio for whatever three months or whatever it was and just gordon pushing buttons while julian saying you know i want this hi-hat to sound like a barking wolverine in the nevada whatever like he's such a weirdo (laughs) if you want a little more like backstory into it i found on mixcloud podcaster slash journalist called Tom Clark. I think he cheated on us. He doesn't have a podcast. Here's what he did. So his, his handle is Tom Clark with an E 101, if you want to look it up. But he was doing basically like a documentary, but audio style, basically about their first album, how they came about, but with other 
other parts about the Strokes. And he interviewed Gary Mulholland, who was like an, a music writer, but he also interviewed Gordon Raphael. He interviewed Jeff Travis, who was mm. the head of the label. And he also interviewed J.P. Bowersock, a really long interview with J.P. Bowersock, who was listed as the guru on the first album. And yeah. A sh- not shaman, but it was something close to that on the <laughs> second one. It was Sensei. Is that what they said? That was his tr- credit on the album. Oh, no. The first oh, album, no. he was Guru. And the second album, oh, he, he was is. Sensei. Oh, he is. He's listed as fucking <laughs> yeah. Sensei. He really is. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. For real. It's actually quite an interesting interview with all four of these guys who were at one time or another, you know, part of their lives. Pitchfork originally gave this an 8.0. Change it to a 9.2. It's a different, better album with major improvements over its predecessor, scoring it a 0.1 bonus point more than is this it, commended in marking confident progress and at least partially thwarting rock history's most inevitable backlash. What the... If... If you're going to do a revisit of a review, you're going from 8 to 9.2. What is the fucking point? 1.2. Make <laughs> <laughs> stats. I don't know why that bugged the shit out of me. It's We should redo Metallica. <laughs> going into this album, Julian talked a lot about, because the press was all over the fucking strokes, but in the book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, one of the things that people say a lot about Julian, and he says himself a couple times, is how much of a lack of confidence he had going into this album because they had just come out with right. the king shit album, and now here's your second one. What are you doing for your sophomore album? And on top of that, all of a sudden, The Killers is out. The Kings of Leon is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hives, vines, all these bands that are like them or don't like them, whatever they were doing, they had kind of taken a little bit of it from the strokes and they were doing it really fucking well. Mm -hmm. And Julian was kind of like, oh shit, our band has already been taken by other bands and they are better than us. Hmm. He had a really, really hard fucking time making this album. I think the big song was that, what was the very first really popular killer song? The Somebody Told Me song. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. You have a girlfriend, a boyfriend. <laughs> and he heard that and he was like, this song is going to be the most popular radio song ever. Luckily, though, I think that they were on the road and touring and playing for so long before this that they are so goddamn tight on this album that I don't really think that lack of confidence shines through. Yeah. Rachel, did you catch any of what I just said while <laughs> studying for this? I was not listening at all. <laughs> but um, no, I did catch, they really leaned into, seemingly, this could just be me, uh, leaned into the, the lo-fi, don't make it sound perfect, polished, and it came off a little lazy at times. Uh, you can talk to Carrie about that. Because <laughs> I think initially there was some samey sameness, but mm-hmm. there there was just like a lack of melody when I was listening to the first album, especially. I get so hooked on melody, but this album, it kind of pushed a little bit forward. We had some more melodic, you know, development in that. But mm-hmm. the thing that really that I find it interesting because I know this is bad, but like I wrote down all of the keys that the songs were in. <laughs> Nerd. And Try yeah, hard. totally. I know. Sorry. But like the, the first song <laughs> is in B. I have this thing where I hate. Yeah, I either love or hate when tracks that are next to each other are in the same key. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'm listening to the first song. It's in B. 
And then the second song came on, and the opening riff is in B, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden in comes the minor. So yeah. it's like it goes from B to B minor. The next song is in C sharp, which, by the way, is like for all the guitar players out there, not an easy chord to play in. And they they have three songs on this album in C sharp. There's a lot of C sharp on this. Yeah. But then the next one goes to E and then the next one's in E as well. So it's two, like, again, back to back, except they go to an E7 and an A7. So for me, it was like this progression of like B, C, E. It was changing just enough. I don't know if it's intentional the way they laid out the track list, but I assume that it was because of Julian's sort of retentiveness. But yes, that's the one. The B side doesn't really follow that as much. But I thought, you know, you're putting your strongest little like section together. You're creating almost a thematic thing so i was more impressed by that than i was like getting over the idea of the songs being samey samey one of the things that you had talked about in the last episode i hadn't even thought about and i don't know why but i understood it how much you liked the new abnormal because they took the distortion out of the vocals Mm -hmm. as much as i liked the sound and is this it i kind of thought it was the perfect first album This album, to me, that whole vocal thing, that distorted vocal works so well. You have songs like Reptilia, you have songs like Whatever Happened, and when he does the voice break, when he gets up to the top of his range and he's really going for it, it's not like it's screaming, but that extra bit of distortion really, really, Mm. I don't know, it just pounds it home for me. I liked it better than the first, for sure, than the first album. (laughs) Good. <laughs> Evil, did you pay any attention to the lyrics on this? A little bit. I mean, I you know me, lyrics aren't... Not it's bad. not the first thing that I pay attention to, but we talked about the first album and how it's not really the deepest lyrically. Yeah. Uh, I felt like they had a little bit, or he had a little bit more to say. He had a little bit more experience under his belt. You know, this you know group of kids essentially come together, form a band, and then are just shoved in front of the entire planet and go on a tour for a couple of years. That's a lot of experience. That's a lot to talk about. Yeah. They're still like not the deepest lyrics, but that kind of level of experience and exposure and just such a surreal thing for a human to go through uh-huh. is reflected somewhat in the lyrics. Rachel, what about you? Because you um, like lyrics. I do like lyrics. I didn't love these lyrics. All right. Pretty simple, I guess. How was that Blackpink concert? David James. <laughs> we're not dissecting Blackpink I thought the lyrics in this were way better and I actually really I caught and I do think towards the end it kind of turns into a breakup album Mm -hmm. but I did notice he does a little bit of the at least I shouldn't say I noticed I should say that I had a feeling and then researching it's kind of true that he did a Fiona Apple-ish type of thing on this where he's singing a lot about relationships and breakups love and hate and this and that but a lot of this shit is about the music life it's about touring mm-hmm. it's about stuff a lot of these lyrics are not about a relationship it's actually about his relationship with critics and yep. and what it's like dealing with these crowds and the painstaking horribleness of having to go home with a new woman every night and things Awful. like that yeah especially in your 20s you're just uh, i know just, just want to settle down just the thing. worst free booze and drugs and women the poor bastard carrie what do you think about the lyrics more interesting than the first album 
just simply because like you nailed it. It's, it felt like a breakup album to me or at least a relationship album. It was written mostly on the road. I think that, you know, when you're around people, critics or band members or tour managers or whoever for that long and that intensely that it's going to come out. I, you know, I think when you're in a bigger studio and you feel like you figured it all out and you know everything about the album is done, it's ready to go. I think there's a difference between singing lyrics in a small basement than there is in a big studio. And so you might put more emphasis on certain lyrics or songs than you would have if you were down in the basement just recording a demo. I agree with that. And I do think that there's a lot to what Evil said about it's kind of a you get what you wish for thing because these mm. guys did. They were from mm -hmm. New York. They wanted to be massive. Mm -hmm. Julian wanted to be a humongous band and then he got it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do that. We're like, yeah, it's great. It's great. And then all of a sudden they have to talk to the press every single night. And there are these magazines that they want a soundbite. They don't actually give a fuck. Right. Overnight from young kids making music for fun into rock saviors. You can't deal with that. Yeah. Nobody's going to be able to deal with that. Any of you notice the very weird six seconds of blankness between songs? Yep. That really irritated me. I, I thought me. that was like a Spotify issue. So honestly, what? Nope. <laughs> That's this album. Oh my God. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> you did? I loved Why? it. Why? Why'd you I, love it? I loved it because it gave a breath in between every single song. It was like, oh, that song's now over. Take a second. You know, you can still listen to the album in its entirety, but it gave that little space of like, okay, and now we're getting ready for the next song. Maybe it's pretentious. I don't know, but... Do you know that's why Julian did it? No, I did not know that. That's why he did it. Oh. This is from uh, Gordon Raphael. I was there at the mastering session. Julian said, put six seconds of silence between the songs. He thought it was a good artistic decision. I remember him saying that it lets the other song fade out and gives you time to get ready for something brand new. Hmm. Okay. Well, glad that <laughs> message was received. But he never did it again. I think if you listen to the album all the way through, I can get with the art of that. But if you're skipping through songs and starting a song and you're like, fuck is the song Why is start? my phone broke? <laughs> and it's kind of irritating. I don't know how many times I'm like, is this am I, is my fucking new Apple computer like, on the fritz? <laughs> Albert, Nick, I'll say Nikolai, Albert, and Nick all fucking kill it in this album. Yeah. Scale one to 10 impressed by not only Albert's rhythm guitar and Nick's lead guitar, but them bouncing off of each other. I think it's really clever. They have a very interesting sense of rhythm and melody combined. You've talked about like the other bands, like the hives and stuff that cropped up. And I love the hives. Don't get me wrong. But me too. These guys have something different in the interplay and the rhythm of the, the two guitars back and forth that other bands don't have. And yep. I think that's one thing that has always kind of separated them for me as a listener is that's an interesting component. Actually, if you like write it down and tab it out, it's kind of complex rhythmically. Sound very simple. Absolutely. And, and easy to play when it, I, I'm guaranteed it's probably not. So yeah, definitely. And I like how they, they pushed the sounds sonically a little bit more in their guitars to where like the Cars influence definitely came out. 
on this so much. I mean, there's more than once on here that I would think most people would think that the sound is coming from a synth. 100%. Uh, the end has no end. I, I had to watch them live to like be, right. is it, are they playing, is that keys yeah. or is that, no, it's a guitar. It's like neck pickup and some effect. I was really, really impressed with the guitar work on this one and actually on the, and the drumming. Yeah. Fab killed it on this too. Man, you know, and working with such a small kit, he said he was constantly dialing down his sound because he, he just wanted to hit hard yep. and hit loud, but like he doesn't have crash cymbal. Anytime there's any release in the drumming, it's he's hitting the hi hat, yeah, or, or or the ride. He's using the ride as bashing that the shit out of, of it. yeah, <laughs> but but also like comes back to like kind of what we talked about in the last episode, the restraint in a way where most drummers would just be fucking wailing on a crash cymbal, and no, he keeps it so tight because a crash cymbal would change the sound mm-hmm. completely. But the guitar work, man, I mean. Some of those riffs in like in Reptilia, mm. it's so precise and it it does not back down. I love that. Oh, I like that. In this album. And I think that they did a lot of, I'll say cooler stuff in their next album. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this album is so fucking yeah. tight. This oh, is yeah. such a band yeah. that has been playing together every night for five years type of ba- album. Godrich said that was the coolest thing about going in and trying to make this album. Is we got in and it wasn't like these making an album with some kids from fucking New York City. It was like being in there with fucking Zeppelin. Like they were so goddamn tight and their chops were just there. Mm-hmm. Room on fire. I don't know. Do you think this was at all political? Do you think it was more of like a the mess that people are in type of thing in 2003? Do you think it's more of a this is just a dance party fucking thing? It was pulled from the lyrics of mm-hmm. one of the songs. Was it Reptilia? Mm-hmm. Reptilia, I think. Yeah, when she's, it says the room's on fire and she's fixing her hair. So it's is it like that meme, that this is fine meme where the... Yeah, that's okay. what I got. That's what I read. Okay. When I-, <laughs> I, I, I like that, actually. I think the politicalness actually is inspired through the album art because it's it's a painting. And if you look at the whole painting, don't just look at the album cover. British artist named Peter Phillips, and he created this piece, and it's about the Confederate and Union soldiers. And so... Oh, the gray and the blue. You have to look at the whole painting, oh, yeah. not just the album cover, but... And that painter specifically was doing a lot of political American art, even though he was a UK painter. And so they chose that. And again, I have to come back to the idea that everything they do seems so intentional. Yeah. I don't think they just kind of liked that painting. It says more to me. And there's even a line in Between Love and Hate that says, I think it's we just lost the war twice or something like that second time we lost the war second time we lost the yeah. war and you know it could be a double entendre of a relationship ending but also that caught my ear because i was like the first time he said the word war it's like covers about the civil war so that chorus that uh never needed anybody don't worry about a honey i mean he could obviously a girl could be breaking up with him and he's just you know putting on the facade Or this is their second album and he's saying, I don't give a shit if it works or not, like never needed anything. Don't worry. Who cares? But I I think either way plays to me as a facade, especially knowing how much Julian actually cares about this shit. I don't know if it was painted in 1961, but I think think that's what it said. War game. Yeah, it's war war slash game. 1961 is the title of it. 
war game depicts opposing Confederate and Union forces through typical emblems of combat, flags, guns, and uniforms. This line strikes me. It works such as this. Phillips combined areas of machine-inspired precision with sections that are more painterly to create assemblage-like compositions. Wow. Boom. That fits their music. That fits the music of this album. It like. absolutely does. We got to get to awards and categories. There's going to be a lot to talk about. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We're back. And the music that you heard in the break, once again, Chris Rainier, R-A-I-N-I-E-R. Go find him on Bandcamp. Go find his album, Sorrowful Songs of the Silver Swords. The song you just heard is called The Heat of the Crater Dissolve the Clouds. This is art, people, and this is art in its purest form. Like I said, this is a gentleman that built his own instrument and made this music. It doesn't get any better than that. These are the type of indie artists that we want to support. Support these people. Go to his band camp. He is on Instagram. I enjoy this album. I've enjoyed it since I bought it a while back. Chris, thanks for giving us the music. Hope he gets you a couple downloads. I couldn't really find anything good for the David Crosby Met Award. What? No. You would. I would have. Yeah, I would have expected. Yeah, I would have. The only thing that I did find was uh, the review is by Amazon customer, one star, sincere thoughts. I don't know. I'll read it. Maybe you'll like it. Anybody else notice all the media hype surrounding the strokes? I was fooled into buying this CD because I read an interview about the strokes and thought, hmm, those guys seem pretty cool. All the magazines will definitely talk about the strokes. They'll talk about Julian, the New York scene, the Smurfs. What? And how cool the strokes supposedly are. They'll talk about everything, it seems. Except for music. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you buy the CD and listen to every song on it, you'll see why. (laughs) Ever wonder why it's been so long and the the Strokes have only released one single, 1251? Because if there was anything else remotely good on this CD, trust me, you would be hearing it play on the radio. Ouch. It's a little clever. Yeah. It is. I don't know. I didn't find that one that Mm. entertaining. DMX Award. Carrie... Yeah. It's your favorite award that I've decided right now. The first thing I wrote down was the speed of the recording after being on tour. It's pretty rare that people would go immediately into the studio after such a grueling tour. Especially with a band like this that I guarantee you they were not practicing new songs or anything on the road. No, They were fucking partying. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing I wrote was the sparseness of it again, the restraint of it, even more than the first album, which I will just say they started this whole thing. They started it. Mm-hmm. The Vines, the Hives, the Killers, Kings Leon, like 200 other successful bands. I'm not saying that those bands stole from them, but they kicked the door open. So my DMX and Mark Lanigan award kind of blend together. It's the mixture of them having this meteoric rise and still have like this chip on their shoulder and mm. then carry that with them the whole time. Whether or not it was contrived or, or for show or calculated, it played in their favor to the point to where we're talking about them now and media outlets are revising their reviews because, you know, yeah. if them being able to 
come into the scene and weather all of that is both what makes them unique and what makes them rock stars. I also think that there's a big, you're fucked either way you do it. The major complaint about this album was that it's too much like their first album. Hmm. Put on a fake mustache and... But I honestly believe that if they would have come out with First Impressions of Earth as their second album, everybody would have said, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then and then they probably would have come out with Room on Fire. And I bet you it would have been major. I bet people would have been like, oh, my God, they're back to being the Strokes again. When you're a band that big, you're fucked no matter what you do, unless you're Dave Grohl. Uh, I think what this answer is going to kind of focus on the Strokes as a whole and not necessarily this album they brought a new spin on like the 70s rock that we were used to mm-hmm. they brought it with the greasy hair and the the rock star vibe skinny jeans but again like put a new spin on it mark lanning and true rock star award evil already answered this that smooth little bastard rachel what about <laughs> you i mean i kind of i feel like i kind of touched on it too they had the long hair they were Banging all the chicks. They brought back classic rock. They probably trashed in hotel rooms. Who knows? Okay, I'm going a little bit off book for this because it's, I'm taking Rockstar a little less literally. There's a book? (laughs) There's a book. So I read a review in Spin and it was by Greg Milner, who I don't know, but he wrote it. And he said, its similarity to its predecessor ultimately bespeaks a purity of vision, not a dearth of new ideas. So what makes them rock stars to me is that they said, I don't care. This is how we want it to sound. And it might sure. sound kind of like the first album, but it's not because we don't have new ideas. It's it's because we're so clear on what we want to put out into the world. Hmm. That's beautiful. Very good answer. Um, I basically said what Rachel said. That what makes them <laughs> rock stars is they were rock stars. This is your very typical rock star story. Bunch of kids end up famous, whine about it. <laughs> Underrated, overrated, properly rated, Carrie? I think properly rated in its time, and I think properly rated now. I think that it you know, had a lot to live up to, and the reviews were fairly decent. They were, I, I wouldn't even say they were generous. I'd say they were pretty accurate. And now I think that people maybe like it a little bit more or are talking about it more, but I still don't think they're, they're putting it above any other album just because they are revisiting it. I think it's all around properly rated. I think it was properly rated in its time. I mean, it did go platinum in a couple countries, I think like three countries. There's a part of me that thinks that this is a little bit of a forgotten strokes album. Is this it is the one that everybody just clings to for obvious and good reason. I have a question. How do you feel like this album would have been received in an era like the late sixties, early seventies when bands were, knocking out two, three albums a year. Would it have been much higher rated by the press? And and it sounds like it, it did well commercially. I mean, it, it sold. Right. We're talking mostly about reviews and critics yeah. at this point. Like, I think they are a throwback. They're pulling on inspirations from bands from the 70s. Right. Yeah. If they were to have released this even a year earlier, maybe not this is it in this album in the same year, but just a year apart, I think it would have been huge. Like I agree. It would have been very well received. I think that one extra year was just enough time for people to be like, all right, we're sick of these guys now. It's also kind of the beginning of internet journalism where you have to drum up shit to talk about 
they suffered from that a little bit too. So I'm going to say they were slightly underrated in the era when it was released, properly rated today. Let's stay with you, Evil, because I have a feeling I know one of the bands you're going to say influences and influencees. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this. Uh, it's all the same ones, the right? Entirety of their catalog, Velvet Underground, the Ramones, but the cars, obviously, when I was listening to all of the albums together, Angles is the one that really struck me as the cars album, but... I think that's because I was avoiding this one a little bit because of the assignment. Julian had actually mentioned in an interview that he was influenced by Bob Marley. I saw that. Yeah, which yeah, I thought was I kind of too. interesting. I don't hear that. I don't either. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, wait, what? You hear that on this album? Automatic stop. It's got a reggae riff right off the top. I don't hear a, a reggae I hear riff. It. She hears it. Are you kidding? Maybe I just don't hear it because I just can't. I don't know. I, I seriously, I do not hear it. It's there. I think it's because they're doing other stuff ry- rhythmically around right. it that kind of, it's tucked in there though. It for sure is. You know where I hear it that I'm just realizing? What's the slow one? Under control. Under control. Under control. I do hear oh, a little. Oh, I hear Motown there. Yep. Me too. Also, he had yeah. mentioned The Doors, which I think, I feel like we can pull. Totally. And there's also a, a band called Television. Yes. Okay. There is a little, little bit of sound correlation, but there's also a bunch of like, hey, it's just a bunch of guys in New York and they're dirty and they're getting together and they're playing rock music. Hey, look at that. This album is fucking amazing. Marquee Moon. That's exactly what I wrote down. As far as influences, Interpol, OK Go, I guess those were kind of about the same time. Yeah. Franz Ferdinand, Cage the Elephant, 21 Pilots a little bit later on. Franz Ferdinand's a good one. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering from the book right, they were one of those bands that Julian was like, oh, God damn it. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think the White Stripes and the Strokes are an incredible comparison because I really do think they they were parallel and they were doing two completely different things that would change rock. Mm-hmm. I was excited actually because, you know, we touched on it, but there was an exploration of different genres that I really appreciated. Some Motown, some soul, some... Some a little bit of reggae that only some of us hear. um, (laughs) But I hear a little bit of the shins, a little bit of modest mouths. Oh, yeah. I hear a tiny bit of Radiohead in some of the vocals, like I said earlier. You know, they didn't make music that was all Mm. that unique, but they made music that only sounded like them. That's for sure. Yeah, and Franz Ferdinand, for sure. Never mind the Bullocks Award. Let's stay with you, Carrie. Has anything changed on your rankings? It didn't change my rankings, but I think for a sophomore album, this is probably one of the best of the 2000s. Rachel, did you listen to any of their other stuff? I did. I listened to their first album and then I listened to the most recent album. So I didn't listen to too much around that area. You should listen to the next album. Um, (laughs) Evil. I don't think it's the best. I don't think it's their worst by any stretch. When we did the rankings, it was number three for me, and it'll stay there. This is definitely not their best album, but uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's solid from start to finish. John Paul Jones Award, Rachel. Would you take anyone out? Would you replace anybody? What would you do? I never really think of taking people out unless it's like Lars. (laughs) So I always think of like, (laughs) who's going to go? Who would compliment well? And I actually ran across a YouTube of Regina Spector singing along on Modern Girls. Oh, Regina oh. Spector, that sounds like a good idea. And then that brought me to like Jenny Lewis, Stacy Dupree of 
if you've heard of Isley. I also found this really disturbing mashup of Hard to Explain and Genie in a Bottle. Look it up. It's uh, <laughs> Carrie, what about you? I'm with you on the female, but I don't hear vocals. I hear synth. And when I think of that time period, I think of Emily Haynes from Metric. Mm. They kind of grabbed me with 1251, you know, with that synth sound. And it's like, ooh, I kind of wish they had done a little bit bit more of that so i wouldn't take anybody out or replace anyone i would add in emily haynes you know who loves emily haynes this guy (laughs) (laughs) you like metric i fucking love metric yeah oh cool yes i love metric too i am going brian jones and i'm going brian jones not to replace nick on guitar but to sit with him there are a couple times on this and I shouldn't even be saying this. I'm saying it. I don't care. He's so unbelievably well-structured as a guitarist and everything fits perfectly where it's supposed to be. Sometimes I want him to not do that. Mm-hmm. Get a little dirty with it, man. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Evil, what about you? I don't have a smart answer, uh, but I did look up who had the top single of 2003 and it was 50 Cent. So I... I oh yeah, that'd Does that be good. find me in the club? Yep. Yeah. So uh, I love that song. F- 50 Cent. I, I want them to figure that out. Like, God, when do we do 2003? <laughs> Get Rich or Die Trying is fucking DL 10 out of 10. No question. No, dude. Seriously, award. Evil. What you got? Yeah, I think Reptilia is the right answer there. That's a really good track. They're firing on all cylinders. The really like windy riff that they go into where everyone else drops out and it's just guitar it's just killer my i same answer it's reptilia bam 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 goodbye we're the strokes rachel what about you reptilia is the correct answer Ruh-roh. unless you're carrie <laughs> <laughs> i think 1251 is the most accessible song commercially on this album and i think if i was introducing them to someone it's a yep. very easy entry it would hit on multi-genres like if you like pop or if you like new wave or even if you mm-hmm. like rock rock or not so much metal but it catches the ear in a way that is like oh that sound john popper award what you got i said the guitar on 1251 the high note synth vibe guitar mm-hmm. uh evil same question what rachel said but also the same thing on the end has no end those two little melodic things are both mm-hmm. awesome those are the most earwormy things on the album for me. Rachel and I agree. It's that hooky synth lead that is doubling the the melody. Mm-hmm. The vocals. Yeah. And yeah. man, that just gets in and goes, uh, you're going to be hearing this for the next 18 hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. What's yours? Automatic Stop to me is really close. I'm not your friend. I never was. But Between Love and Hate. The whole never needed anybody, never needed anybody, don't worry about it, honey, into the cool vocal decisions he makes with his over-enunciation of am I wrong. He does this like, am I wrong? And I love that. And that's my John Popper. The John Prine Best Lyric Award. I love the line, accidents happen. There's one plan today. I think that's fucking cool. Uh, But my favorite, one of my favorite lyrics of all time starts this album. It's, I want to be forgotten and I don't want to be reminded. That line is fucking brilliant. If I still got tattoos, I tattoo it on my ass. <laughs> Not my ass. 
I tattoo it on my ass. You know what I mean? Uh, Rachel. What do you get tattoos anymore? You don't get tattoos anymore? I'm too old. They're expensive. They're they're not, you know, I've got old person mind now. It's like, All right. well, I'm going to pay 200 bucks for that. I, <laughs> my, day, my favorite lyric, this room is on fire. She's fixing her hair. That's just great imagery. Yeah. I'd never caught it until uh, you said it in this episode. It's really yeah. awesome. Uh, evil. Uh, you trained me not to love after you showed me what it was. Mm. That is very T Swift. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Carrie, <laughs> uh, what do you got? Uh, mine's from You Talk Way Too Much. You're not supposed to say that you taught me too much. Is this how it ends? Is this how it ends? I think he has some really good lines on this. Like, I get that it's not Shakespeare, but I think. I think he has a lot of really good stuff on this. Uh, it's Eddie. clever where they lacked in depth. They're thick with cleverness. <laughs> he is the Jimmy Eminem of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Van Halen award. <laughs> right back to you, evil. You were right. They do have a really good solo on this album uh, between love and hate. Yeah. I like the fire that he plays the solo on last night with a bit more, but this one's a cool solo as well. I'll give you that. Carrie, what about you? I am tied for that exact same solo and the just super blazing and precise, uh, not really solo, but like interlude on Reptilia. Mm. It's not necessarily a solo, which is why it's second and it's kind of tied, but between love and hate, that's... So I said either the drums and way it is, it's kind of that fast, the but... I also said part in Reptilia, but it is that guitar part in the chorus. He's shredding in the background of the chorus. I think that's probably my favorite part out of this whole album. Rachel, what about you? Uh, agree on the Reptilia. I had that bit for my first part. And then on Woo-hoo. the end has no end that did it. Dope as shit. Mm-hmm. Surfer Rosa Award, Carrie. I spoke to it a bit earlier. I think the first five songs are brilliantly placed. And in the way that the the keys sort of meld into this thematic idea. The second half for me at first was like a bit throwaway. But then the more I listened to it, the more I was like, no, it's not at all. I still think it's a top-heavy album, but I think the B-side is really quite close, save for one or two songs. I agree, and uh, I think Carrie put to words something that I couldn't quite figure out, is why I thought the first half of the album was better, but the second half still had strong single tracks. So I feel it's a little bit stronger in the first half just because of the song placement. Rachel, what do you think about this album structure? Um, I'm going to partially agree with Carrie as well. I have to say the placement of Under Control is real bad. It should be an interlude, an intermission kind of in the middle of bangers. And I kind of see this as a Surfer Rosa album in that it gets weirder a little bit as it goes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only difference is, is That's maybe not so much a compliment like it is for Surfer Rosa, for example. Mm. When they get a little bit weirder on this album, I like it a little bit less. Mm. The Time of Your Life Award, I pretty much think that this is a perfect album until you get to You Talk Way Too Much. Mm. And for some reason, going into that fifth song, I don't know what it is. You have 1251, which is so different than the, the first three. It's such a good, not great song that I think that that is terrible. I think that is so not a number five song. 
That is where I wrote down, this is where everything starts sounding the same. I like that song. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a bad song on this. I don't. Do you think it's, it's the just, placement of it? It it has That's to be. Funny. So, Carrie, what did what do you think about the Time of Your Life Award? Well, just to piggyback on that for a hot second is that I find that song "You Talk Way Too Much" to be the most technically interesting of the entire album. It speeds up and then gets brought back. It gives you this feeling of like momentum and it's going somewhere, and then it gets pulled back right at that time it's such an interesting choice to me especially for a rock or new wave or you know post-punk mm-hmm. band my uh time your life award goes to i can't win just because i feel like it's a throwaway song a little bit how dare you i feel like it's in the same key as the opening song which again <laughs> in, in this case it annoys me they're bookends but i think in terms of being bookends the opener is so much stronger than the closer and i love a good closer like give me something that makes me want to come back evil time of your life award there's what 60 seconds at least of dead air between these songs that (laughs) (laughs) that's enough to be a a time of your life award right there (laughs) because of how much it threw me off (laughs) rachel what about you um i said the way it is that was my throw away i feel like that's the one i picked for you is it the bpms are just off the chis arts (laughs) the drums in that are so good though but let's get to the fun one and let's start with rachel who i'm guessing was by far least impressed with this album what are the three best songs on here starting at number three i think evil guessed this for my number one the end has no end good guess not correct that was a banger uh, number two, 1251. And then Carrie guessed my number one. It's Reptilia. hey I hate that it's the, the most the popular other song. fast beats per minute one. But it is, yeah. <laughs> Evil, what about you? Rachel and I are twins. Yay! Ooh. All the way from three to one. All th- yes! Whoa. Number three, yeah, the drink. end has no end. You number two, 1251, number one, Reptilia. Carrie, what are the three best songs on this well, album? I'm about to break hearts. Sorry. That's fine. I said number three was under control. Which they it was on the list. On the list. It's on the list. Yeah. It's You're on the saying list. it has a chance. But I am identical <laughs> to the other two lovely members of Yay! the Yay! 1251 and Reptilia at number one. What are you all even <laughs> talking about? <laughs> what do you think, David? Track three on this album is Automatic Stop. That is my third favorite song. The second track on this album is Reptilia. That is my second favorite song on this album. The guitar work in this is amazing. Julian is going all out as well. The first song on this is Whatever Happened, and that is my favorite song on this album. Dang it. Wow. Good job, Carrie. Carrie killed it tonight. Yeah. Whatever Happened is an unfucking believable song. Dude, the drums on that, that beat. Is such an underrated beat that he's doing the halftime with the hi-hat. I'll say this. Anybody that's a little bit of an air drummer that just likes, you know, doing a little bit of tappy tap on your knees, try to play that fucking beat. That's fair. It is deceptively, insanely hard. Who won the album? I'll start uh, Nick and Albie. The guitar work on this album is just perfect to me. Evil. Who won this album? Franz Ferdinand, <laughs> apparently, since... That's true. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> didn't their album come out right about when this... Probably. I mean, that's like... It was 2004. 
yeah. close enough to where the critics were like, fuck the strokes. We're on this train now. So I think Franz Ferdinand <laughs> <Yes>. did. <laughs> Rachel, who won the album? Similarly, I was just rock and roll, just bringing good old rock and roll back. I think Gordon Raphael won this album because he, Cause he, cause he took it back. It back. <laughs> Not only did he take it back, he didn't bitch about it. Like he didn't say like, I'm, I was your second choice. You know, he just went ahead and listened to what they wanted again kind of hung out in the background you know he didn't work with them again but I think yeah. it was nice that they brought him back on and that it kind of elevated his career because he went on to produce some pretty cool shit after that let's start with who I believe probably has the lowest rating for this album Rachel what'd you give it I gave it a six out of ten that's pretty much what I was expecting yeah look I, n- I never needed anybody okay I never needed don't worry about a it very- I never needed anybody. <laughs> <laughs> a very evil what do you rate this album? I'm going to shoot right in the middle of Pitchfork's two ratings and give it an 8.6 Pitchforks. <laughs> wow. That's really high. I mean, I it's think it's fun. a good album. Yeah. Carrie, what do you think of this album? I will give it 11 out of, no, I'm going to give it 13 out of 15 electrolytes. <laughs> That's a lot That's of pretty electrolytes. Good. I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised by this album. That makes me happy. Now, the big question that everybody slash nobody has been waiting for <laughs> the, is, do, what do I rate this? Okay, so here's the thing. There are only two songs on this that I don't think are just amazing. Ooh, what are they? You talk way too much Ooh. and under control. That's fair. I am going to give this 9 out of 10 pairs of skinny jeans. Mm. And the only reason that I'm not giving it a 10 out of 10 is because after... I have studied the strokes so much over the past few months. I now know that they do have two other albums at least that are indeed 10 out of 10s for me. So don't push your luck. The strokes, you get a nine out of 10 for this one, (laughs) but trust me, there's a couple other ones out there that are going to be on the wall someday. That is room on fire by the strokes. Evil. Thank you so much for joining. Congratulations you don't have to listen to them anymore. (laughs) Yes. Rachel, same thing. Congratulations on multiple things. And I'm sorry that I made you listen to this album. It's fine. Whenever you throw out a 10 out of 10 episode, I think that it's going to be a 10 out of 10. And so I kind of feel like maybe I grade a little harsher with that because I'm just like, how does he think this is? Because you're telling me it's going to be the best album of all time. And then I listen to it and then it's not. And then I probably take it down a couple notches as opposed to if it had been like an album exchange sort of thing. That makes sense. I kind of like that. But how dare you <laughs> carry the fourth episode this year? That's a lot of episodes. Thank you so much for learning so much about the strokes with us over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me back. How many pages of notes did you have this time? Oh, tonight, four and a half. Oh, you consolidated heavily. Well, I mean, it's one album, not... I'm very proud of you Thank for that. Thank you. <laughs> it. it was good. I'm really working on trying to sound as condescending as I can tonight. You got it. So. No, I really, really appreciate you guys uh, humoring me a bit with the strokes. I know that maybe they aren't everybody's extreme cup of tea, but I think they're an extremely interesting story and they're a fucking awesome rock band. And I like rock bands. Versecoursefirst.com at versecoursefirstpod. Join us next week. I don't know what the fuck we're going to be doing. We're at the point where we're a little too far in the future. Right now on the schedule is a very, very ginormous interview prep. All you people that like guitar should probably stick around 
because we're going to have a very, very, very big interview that evil might be excited for. <laughs> Meh. Meh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everybody, thank you. Carrie, thank you. Good night and good luck. Oh, I, oh, I want to stay right by your side.